wonderful, especially hearing the children singing out for the Lord. Now, anytime a young, especially a young person, speaks for the Lord or stands up for the Lord or sings for the Lord and all, it really blesses the hearts. Now, I like when those older folks do it too. I talked with a couple of you. I'm trying something a little bit different with my lessons from here on out. That one thing it. I'm hoping that by what I'm doing, you'll be able to follow along and get a little more out of my lessons. But another thing, it kind of makes it a little, a little easier to come up with something to talk about. Because you say, "Well, what am I going to pray about? I mean, what am I going to preach on?" You know, our heart should be full of stuff. There's just so much here we could talk about God. But I used to I like to uh, see marquees or I'll see a sign or something, and it brings up to my mind or my attention. But now I'm going to take a book. Out of the Bible, I'm gonna start off with First Kings, and I'm gonna see just how many lessons I can get out of them. You're gonna probably get tired of hearing First Kings or whichever book I'm in, but I'm a, that's my plan. That way, to give you an idea that uh, you could take this book and say, okay, but Bubba said his lessons was gonna come out of First Kings, so I'm gonna start First Kings chapter one. I'm gonna read through it and give you, you know, uh, to, uh, somewhere to start in the Bible to uh, to read out of it and your personal Bible study and all. But one thing that I like to do is I like to pick a character out of the Bible and study that character. And then I go to the book that talks about the character. And that way I can uh, find out how this person comes so close to God and also what happened to cause that person to What happened to cause that person to fall from God. So as I said, I'm going to try and teach on the lives of people that we're about, uh, we read about in the scriptures from the very beginning of learning and how they teach. I love examining the lives of people that God saw fit to have recorded in his word for us to learn from. I believe God's story of redemption concludes with the book of Samuel because David is pictured as one who has come to rescue Israel by making intercession for the people at a cost to himself in 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel 24. Now God's going to continue to tell his redemption story, but not like what we see as we move through God's theological narrative from Exodus to the book of Samuel. Now the book of Samuel is actually the end of David's story. Even though we will read about David in 1 Kings, David is not the focus of this new account. Now the picture of 1 and 2 Kings is the rise and the fall of God's kingdom as seen through the rise and the fall of his kings. And another thing too we find out is like Samuel, Kings was originally one book that was separated into two when the Greek translation, the Septuagint, was done. Now the book the book of Kings is not a continuation of the story that was presented in the book of Samuel. Both books of Kings and Chronicles were written after Israel was exiled. Now the book of Chronicles and the book of Kings have two different purposes. The book of Chronicles shows Israel how to restore worship and return as God's people. The book of King, however, will show why Israel is exiled. 
the book of King is going to ask and answer a different question. How can there be hope when there is so much human failure? What is God going to do when his kings fail to carry out their role of returning the hearts of the people back to God? God's going to reveal to us people that show the rise and the fall of his kingdom. And what he is going to do about it is to save his people and establish his kingdom. Therefore, 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1 sets forward an important theme for the book. What were the other grace that you have received? The person we're going to see this truth declared through is Solomon. We see in the first four verses of 1 Kings chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes. But he got no heat. There, wherefore his servants said unto him, Let her be sought out for my lord, the king of a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, and thy lord the king may get heat. So they sought out for a fair damsel throughout all the coast of Israel, and found, and I'm not good on all the names, but it was Abishag, a Shumanite woman, and brought her unto the king. And the damsel was very fair and cherished the king, ministered to him, but the king knew her not. That was First Kings chapter one, verse one through four. We see here that our book First King opens up with a shocking picture of David. The book of Samuel just presented David as a vibrant, energetic king with his fighting men whose kingdom was firmly, firmly established. When we think about David, we think about this warrior, this big, strong warrior that could just go out and do whatever. But the book of Kings have a different perspective of David. Here, David is pictured as frail and weak. It tells us there that David's condition is so bad that he cannot keep himself warm, even when blankets are covering him. What a decline that this book wants you to see regarding David. Now, an interesting solution is presented in verses 2 through 4. What well, said, it tells us that the servants of David decided to search for a young virgin to attend to the king and be his caregiver. She would lay by him to keep him warm. So they find a beautiful young woman named a who took care of the king but did not have sexual relation said he knew her not but this is quite a picture of what we think about when we think about David that the author here wants us to take in now we should think about this for just a moment so that we can grasp the intended meaning if the concern is simply for David to have body heat, why not volunteer one of David? Uh, excuse me, back up here. If the concern is simply for David to have body heat, why not volunteer one of David's many wives to fill this role? If the concern is simply for David to have body heat, why 
does the woman have to be a beautiful young woman? Now here they bring in a young, beautiful woman, but they do not have relations. This is not a statement about moral restraint, but also about inability. Now what I'm saying here is there's picture in David even a step further as being weak, frail, and powerless. David's problems, if we remember, began with a beautiful woman in his bed, Bathsheba. Now David's ending is going to be the same with a beautiful woman in his bed. Here David is representing weakness and frailty and in pride the effect of his sin. His sin has destroyed him and there is no power left in him to even keep himself warm. We see on down in uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. Filling the power void. With David presented as weak and powerless, Adonijah's son puts himself forward as the next king. He is the next in line with the death of the older son, 2 Samuel chapter 3. So Adonijah is also himself and goes about rallying people for his kingship. In fact, the description in verse 5 is the same description for what Absalom did in 2 Samuel 5 and 12. We see here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 5, it says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. The parallel description tells us that Adonijah is attempting to steal the throne. But before going forward with this problem, we need to notice verse 6. Verse 6 here in 1 Kings chapter 1 says, And his father had not displeased him at any time, saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very godly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. We see here in verse 6 that God wants to make an important point to us. First, we need to notice from this verse the further connection the author makes between Adonijah and Absalom. Both were very handsome men. Adonijah was born after Absalom. Second thing we need to notice is that David never did anything to displease his son. He never wanted him unhappy or disciplined. David is painted like he is Eli from 1 Samuel chapter 2, who did not restrain his sons, which we know led to disaster. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 34. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 34. Also, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11 and 18. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11 and 18. David has failed in raising his son, and this is an important warning to every one of us as parents and grandparents. The goal of parenting is not keep your kids from getting upset. Our culture tells us to do this. Our culture basically tells us just keep the kids happy. 
let them do what they want to and let them come and go as they please. Just keep them happy. If they're happy, they won't give you much trouble. We find out that's different. Let them have what they want. Let them do what they want. But God is using David as an example to teach us that this is the worst thing that we could do. Now, I'm not telling you how to raise your kids. I'm just telling you what God's Word tells you how to raise their kids and all. But it tells our goal as parents is not to keep your kids happy and be their friend. Our goal as a parent is to raise our children to love God and be self-indulgent. Not to be self-indulgent nor selfish people. So Adonijah garnered support from Joab, Abathar, after the king. But the priest Zodak and the prophet Nathan did not join him in this declamation. Adonijah invites everyone who will support his kingship to a feast to proclaim his place as king. Then we get in uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 down to verses 11 through 53. Verses 11 all the way through verse 53. <clears throat> We're going to see the rise of Solomon and the fall of Adonijah. The prophet Nathan takes this information to Bathsheba, Solomon's uh, mother in verse 11. Verse 11 says here that, Wherefore Nathan spake unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Hath thou not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, doeth reign, and David our Lord knoweth it not? <clears throat> and Nathan tells her that they must urgently do something to save their own lives. Tells us here that Prophet Nathan expects Adonijah to act like other kings, wiping out all the rivals to the throne. So he tells Bathsheba to go and ask David why Adonijah has become king when David swore that Solomon would be king back in verse 13 where it says, Go and get thee in, in unto King David and said to him, Didst not thou, my lord, a king swear unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne? Why then doeth Adonijah reign? Verse 13. So then the prophet Nathan would come in at the same time and make the same point. Bathsheba does this. Noting that all Israel wants to know who will sit on the throne after David. Because we already told now how poor shape that David's in right now. Nathan comes in and confirms that Adonijah has declared himself to be king. So David makes an oath that Solomon will be king after him and sit on the throne in his place. We see that in verse 30, where it says, Even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son will reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead. Even so will I certainly do this day. He has pre-Zodak, Anoint Solomon as King Zodok, as Zadok, excuse me. Anoint Solomon as King over Israel, blowing the trumpet and shouting, Long live King Solomon. Now all the people then follow after Solomon with such fanfare and rejoicing that the ground was shaken according to verse 40. We 
Verse 40 says, And all the people came up after him, and the people piped and piped and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth rent with the sound of them. Now Adonijah, remember he, is, he had his party not far from Jerusalem. So he and his guests hear the noise as they were finishing their feast. The news is told to Adonijah that David made Solomon the king and there, and there is no dispute. We see that in verses 44 through 48. First Kings chapter 1, verse 44 and 48. Now ruins, nothing ruins a party more than being told that the reason for your party is completely false. It'd be like somebody having a birthday party and then you find out it's not even their birthday. Adonijah's guests all get up trembling and go their separate ways. This is something else that kind of makes you want to stop and think a minute. The people were at the feast supporting Adonijah because they felt like he's going to be king and they wanted to get close to the king. But now it says that they get up trembling and they go their separate ways. Why are they trembling? <clears throat> well, they're trembling because they just found out that Solomon's going to be king. Was Solomon that fierce of a person that they trembled? There are certain things that, you know, we read about that he must have been a firm person. Because Adonijah fears for his life and goes to the altar and grabs the horns of it. This was symbolic of begging for mercy from Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. But the key to our text is found in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 51 and 52. Verse 51 and verse 52, it says, And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that we not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he would show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. Verses 51 and 52. Now here we see that Adonijah desires mercy. The same thing to each and every one of us. When we slip up, and go out into the world out of God's way. We realize it and come back. We desire mercy. Solomon responds, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of the hairs shall fall to earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. Solomon's message is very simple. Show your repentance. Adonijah needs to live differently because of the grace of Solomon is extending to him. And ultimately, Adonijah needs to submit to the kingship of Solomon. I'd like a little bit of time we got left to see how this applies to our lives today. Because the New, New Testament tells us the same message that Solomon has just proclaimed to Adonijah. 
I'd like for us to listen to what the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians Christians over in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul's telling us here in the chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all loneliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, as ye are called into one hope of your calling. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Notice here that we are given the same command. We are to walk worthy of the calling which we have been called. We are to show our repentance. We are to live a different life because of the grace that has been extended to us by the Son of David, Jesus. We can sometimes get a little stuck on this idea. No one is saying that we are worthy of the grace that we have been given. We can never be worthy of what has been done for, sacrificed for us, or even given to us. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. What he's saying here is that we are called to live our life in a way that is compatible with the grace that has been extended to us. Now this is what it means to walk worthy of our calling. Be different because the new life which you have been given. This is why the Apostle Paul continues with, with pictures of what this new life will look like. We're told to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace. Now to use the words of Solomon, if wickedness is found in us, then we would die. If we will walk worthy of the grace given to us, then not one of our hairs will fall to the earth. That's not talking about a physical death here, because we all know that we're physically born, we're going to physically die but we won't die out of the family of our Heavenly Father. The question is, what we will do with our new lease on life? We can stop and look at it from what we talked about this morning. We are like Adonijah, a serpent of kingship of Jesus by putting ourselves on the throne and exhorting ourselves. But we can run to the horns of the altar for mercy. We see in the book of Hebrews, Brother Clay's done a, a wonderful job teaching us on Wednesday nights. Hebrews chapter, chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. Chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. So since then we have... Have a great high priest who have passed through the heavens. 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may have received, may receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 16. And in closing, the question I want to ask him, we need to ask ourselves, not just this morning, but continuously. What will we do with the mercy given to us? What will we do with the mercy given to us? What will we do now that the King has extended grace to us? Ultimately, we must submit to the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know throughout our studying how great and powerful King David was. We just looked over this morning that even though he was great and powerful in our human eyes, that body still came frail and weak. So it's not our, our humanly strength that we need to worry about. It's our spiritual love for one another and our love for our Heavenly Father. So if any of us have stepped out of God's way, or maybe we're going through some trial and tribulation and stumbling blocks, whatever it is, we need the prayers. We need the encouragements of each other. Let us stand at this time and we'll sing and come forward and we'll sing our song of invitation.